Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransportation.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past hundred years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to help your salespeople close big deals and just get the sales process done quicker and easier, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And uh, Sean, I don't know if you're going to get the eight inches of snow that I'm going to get uh, here this week, but I'm sure the weather down there is is uh, quite uh, delightful and not and not a. Uh, we're going to get uh, we're going to get a plethora of vitamin D. I bet you are. I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're supposed to get that uh, winter blast supposed to come through here starting today, actually. Today through uh, through middle day tomorrow, I guess, and we could have up to eight inches. So either we're going to get a skiff or five feet, one of the two, usually. Well, it, it, it won't be what they tell us. It'll be either nothing yeah. or way more than they thought. When they send yeah. out warnings, that's usually like, ah, eh, well, we're going to get a couple inches. It's when they don't <laughs> send out the warning that we get a feet. No, we're measuring in feet. So Yeah. All right, so today is a uh, report day. Got a December report coming out, and typically not a big deal, but this year could be a little different, I guess. So I guess you take a look at what's going on with last week's trade and all the news coming out of the Fed with the up and down, and you know we're going to raise rates and tapering is going to have to start increasing, and how that fluctuated with the markets and everything else. We saw a pretty rough week last week, and this week's been – kind of kind of mixed so i guess as you look around with this report i guess what's your thoughts there um i'm going to stick to the idea that i don't think they're going to try to rock the boat too much in this report i think they're going to get to the january report when they put their final stamp on everything and and i think they're going to make their adjustments there doesn't I mean they can't do it here but the the history is they tend not to, and so I'm just going to stick with the idea that they'll make some small adjustments, but nothing that's going to really change the market's view. Um, you know, so, for example, uh, you know, soybean exports continue to fall behind what they're expecting. So at some point, they're going to have to lower 
exports for soybeans and increase ending stocks. Are they going to do that today? Probably not. I think they would wait until January to do that. That's just it's just the way they tend to to like to do things. And with South America, are they really going to make big adjustments? We don't. It's too early yet, Casey. The big yeah. weather. You know, January, February, March, that's when the yields are really determined on a lot of different things. It's just too early for them to make any major changes to their current. They could, you know, tweak it left to right. So I, I'm not anticipating anything. I mean, of course, they can surprise, but I don't think so. I don't think so. As you take a look around, you know, we had yesterday had some rulings come out from the EPA on renewable fuel credits. Yeah. And kind of had that come out, and that kind of shook the market up a little bit. Um I guess you take a look at that. What's your thoughts on that? As a, as a, you know, as you look at ethanol. As long as gasoline demand is good, mm-hmm. and as long as um, you know margins for ethanol plants are good, which they are, we're going to continue to produce a lot of ethanol. I mean, it's 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 it's. I've always felt, you know, in the early days, it was all about subsidies keeping the industry going because they couldn't support themselves. Now. You know, there's times they lose a lot of money. There's times they make a lot of money. Right now, they're making a fortune. If they've done their job right, Casey, if the, if the ethanol plants have done their job right, they should have locked in all their corn for the year, locked in all their ethanol prices for the year, have a historic margin, and just take the year off and keep making ethanol. I mean, that's really what they have the ability to do right now. So I don't see any problem with corn demand from ethanol for this year. You know, maybe next year there'll be a problem, but if they, if they play their cards right, they really should have a profitable year, and there shouldn't really be an issue, even if, like we had this big break in, in crude oil, right, Casey? We had yeah. a big, big break. And really, we didn't see a big break in corn because I believe the market understands it's done already. The, the ethanol guys, they're not waiting around. They're getting all the corn locked in, mm-hmm. and they've locked the margin in. So th- we're going to have good ethanol production all year long. Now, like I said, they may overproduce at some point if we have problems with the economy, if this virus has more issues, you know, maybe it's a problem for 2023, but it's not a problem for 2022. So I don't think those policies, which are longer term in nature, really going to have an impact on near term price. So, yep. yep. All right. So you've got, uh, yep. You, you know, let's talk about South America for a little bit. You got Brazil. Um, they are uh, they're they're raising their expectations, even though with the stuff that's going on there. As you take a look at Brazil, what what are your thoughts there as far as kind of where we're at now as a kind of a, a state of the union, I guess, of, of <laughs> conditions there? The state of Brazil. The yeah. state of Brazil is. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil's future has never been more murky. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, look. They had a mu- they've had a much, much better first part of the growing season this year than they did last year. There's no question about it. Overall, you know, conditions are, are in better shape, but the crops aren't done yet. Mm-hmm. We still have to get through pod filling and soybeans. We still have to get through first crop corn pollination, which we haven't done yet. Um, there is a lot of dry weather in, this, in south Brazil, um, Rio Grande do Sul, um, that's starting to take some, some, some bushels off. But remember, first crop corn is, is the smaller crop. So right now they're looking at potentially 20 or 30% declines in Rio Grande Sol. But when you equate that to the entire corn production of first crop plus second crop, it amounts to one 
million metric tons out of 110 expected production. So it's not a really a it's not material at this point. It would have to become uh, a, a larger issue, especially going into second crop corn. Soybeans, things look good. They're drying out. There's some worries, um, but it's just really too early. I think it's too early for them to say things are that good. I, I just, I don't think one can really make a, I think the only claim one can absolutely say is that we have a much better, we have much better productive potential this year than we did last year, but we're not far enough along yet. And if we're, and if this drying out pattern that has started to develop already uh, intensifies in January and February, especially with this sudden stratospheric warming event, we talked about maybe accelerating that you know, we could be looking at crop production coming down, and usually, you know, that tends to have an elevation on prices at some point. We're thinking mid-January onward could be when the market might have to reprice lower production out of Brazil. But we think for now, they're going to go with the idea, things are fine, nothing to worry about right now. And what the Brazilian government's saying isn't going to change that. So, yeah. All right, let's jump over and take it look at what's going on in the uh box beef market man i tell you what they've been getting hammered here of late and uh obviously it's seasonal time of the year for those kind of things to happen but man they're really just getting their head ripped off right now so i guess as you take a look at that at that market what are your thoughts there yeah i mean there is a seasonal tendency um um you know i kind of feel not just with beef but pork and I think with a lot of things, there's a lot. It was a lot of uh, panic buying, front end buying, you know, excessive buying early to make sure that they had enough for the holidays. That they didn't, you know. I think there was a big um, worry that we'd have empty shelves at the stores and not enough food and not enough toys and not enough this and that. And so I think there's going to be a little bit of a hangover where we overbought. Okay, we 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 have enough, and then everybody says we got to work off the inventory. And I think that, you know, maybe the box beef coming down is saying we bought, you know, more beef than we probably should because we were worried about having enough. But now that we know we have enough, we're going to work off the inventory. And that means we walk away from the cash market for a little while. I think that's something we may see in market after market after market start to happen um, because there was so much fear, you know, a month or two ago that, you know, supply logistics and we're not going to get that, you know, product and we're going to have shortages. And so everyone kind of, you know, did what they what they would do in such an event. They made sure they didn't run out, and yeah. so. But so, I I think that's going to be one of the reasons we're a little worried about markets here. You know, going into January, we might have to to eat some weak cash markets here for you know going into that mid January time frame. So, yep. all right, let's jump over and talk about what's going on in the soft markets a little bit. Um, right now, um, it's been I don't know how long has it been now about a month since you went to Brazil and t- took your coffee tour. Um, What's what's the kind of the state of the mar- of the market with uh, with coffee right now? Well, remember when we were on the ground there, Casey? Mm-hmm. You know, coffee was around one ninety eight, two dollars, you know, give or take. So we've had a twenty percent move since we were on, since we were there. We've gone from two to two forty, two fifty. We had a pretty pretty sizable move. Two fifty, if you look at a long term chart going back to nineteen seventy, is you know, coffee really you know it's pretty in rare territory to go. Above 250, um, and so we went right to it, Casey. You know, 250, mm-hmm. 250, and now we're kind of backing off and kind of doing some consolidation. What you would expect to see: uh, some crop tours are going to come in. Um, 
I know a lot of the trading houses um, are kind of upside down in this market because they've been bearish for a long time and they were short for a long time and got themselves in the wrong spot. I kind of feel that they're going to try to portray the crop being larger, uh, saying, oh, they see a lot of more cherries than they thought. Or I just you know, I have a feeling they're going to try to create uh, some bearish news out of these crop tours to try to knock the coffee market down a little bit to try to get themselves out of the situation that they're in. This is our speculation. It's just wild speculation. We've been following the coffee market for decades, and we just know that there, there, there might be those in the trade that might over-amplify the truth on the ground. We were there, and we were these, a lot of these outfits, Casey, were saying, oh, the range were great. Crop looks phenomenal, and we were on the ground there, and it wasn't there, you know? So. Right. So my feeling is, is that, you know, one has to be a little careful that maybe, you know, there could be a, a, a quick takedown here on coffee prices after getting to 250 um, before the market kind of regenerates itself and get, gets back to the truth again and then can go higher. So for right now, I think we'd be a little cautious here on coffee and, you know, let this market play itself out, let these estimates come out. And if we're correct that they're going to try to portray them being larger than expected, you know, there could be a buying opportunity um, you know, late in the year, early January on, on some of these larger forecasts, which by the way, we don't believe they're, that's correct, but we just think that's what they're going to, we think that could happen. You know, that's just, we always have to think about all the players in the market, what their bias is and what they're going to try to accomplish. And, you know, no one can say they're right or wrong because that's the market, right? You can throw anything out there you want. The USDA can say anything they want. We don't have to, we don't have to agree or disagree but the market can react short-term to it. Right. So, Exactly right. Okay, let's talk about cotton for just a second. Cotton has had a historic run, and right now we're looking at uh, cotton about $105, uh, $1.5 a pound, and, you know, that's a pretty significant bounce from where we were at. We talked about it last week. Last week it was, I want to say it was up there like a dollar. Dollar twelve, dollar fifteen for a minute, something like that. Dollar twenty in that range. Um, so as you, I guess, as you take a look at at what's kind of going on there with with cotton, I mean, is that the kind of some of that again, some of that hangover talk that you're kind of talked about here and some other stuff? Yeah, a lot of overbuying in cotton. A lot of uh, you know retailers wanting to make sure they didn't have uh, empty shelves for clothes during the holidays and such. And so, you know, Chinese demand was crazy. Boy, I don't know, Casey. I just don't see cotton demand holding up here. I just don't see it. I think the economy, uh, this all this inflation is causing a slowdown. The, you yeah. know, China, Evergrande, real estate. The, I don't know. I just I don't see cotton demand holding up. And uh, and and you know, it, if you look at those deferred prices uh, for December twenty two. You know, very attractive for planting cotton in the U.S. I mean, very attractive and very attractive planting them everywhere. So, you know, markets got to be careful. Just want to get, go down too low so that it, it doesn't keep the farmer wanting to plant cotton. But you know, we're no, in our view, we're nowhere near a level that the cotton farmers can decide he doesn't want to plant cotton. So, right. You know, can there be bounces? Of course. You know, anything can happen short term. But we're just feeling we made a major top. We yeah. think we made a major top at one eighteen, one twenty. We think. You know that could be it uh, for a while, like you know, several years or more, kind of thing. I think we really overdone, overdid it because of this overbuying, this 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 fear over not having enough for holiday 
purchases and such forth and so on, and I just don't see it uh, holding up unless we have um, a major, major weather problem developing you know, in 2022. And maybe we do, but that's a long way <laughs> right. from where we are today. So for now, if I'm a farmer, you know, I sure do want to be making sure I lock in somehow, some way, these prices that just, you just can't let these prices leave you in the dust. Um, you just don't, you, you, you have to, you, you have an opportunity as a cotton farmer to lock in a great margin out for quite some time. Merry Christmas. Go ahead and do it. Right. So. Right. right on. All right, milk. Milk has had a wild ride, man. I'll tell you what, it's been um, just, you know, it's 1866 right now is where it's trading at right now as of, as of this moment in time. But, I mean, last week we were up uh, almost to mid to high 19s, you know. We were we really saw some big movement in, in milk. And, uh, and here over the last week or so, it's just been, um, you know, it's, it's been slowly kind of making its way kind of down a little bit. So I guess you take a look at milk. What are your thoughts? So, I mean, we had that we had that report come out that in um, – uh, one of the one of the bills that they were going to add, uh, whatever it was, it was uh, 40, 14 million pounds or 16 million pounds of cheese or something like that the government was going to buy as part of one of those packages. So I guess as you look at milk now, I mean, is it, what's your thoughts there? I think you have to remember how we got to where we're at. First of all, we had the food box program during uh -huh. the pandemic that goosed the market over 20 and got production rocking and rolling. I mean, we were growing production in excess of 4%, 5%, just, just, and, we over, and we oversupplied. So then we had the big, big break from the spring into the summer, terrible prices, losing tons of money. Uh, then the feed price took off. Um, so it went from the best of times, the worst of times, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that book, you know, the best of times is the worst of times. Um, and um, and so now production's on is under the gun. You know, we have some net, we have flat to negative production here. Uh, New Zealand has negative production during their big production part of the season. We have uh, Europe flat to negative production. So when you have negative production and you have a rebound in demand, you know you're going to have prices start to reflect that. And now farmers are making good money again. So, but there is a lot of demand that comes in. Around the holidays, just like for beef, just like for pork, I do think there's a lot of front-end loading for a lot of this stuff as well. And, and, and there's a, a strong seasonal pattern of tops in December and big knockdowns in January, February. You know, not every year, but a kind of, you know, the only time that, that uh, first quarter prices have been higher than they are now was the 2014 all-time high top that we made when China had that scandal with milk um uh contamination if you remember um other than that this is the highest we've been and i just don't think we're going to go out right now and test that high we think we've done enough we had a kind of an ugly reversal yesterday you know i don't want to get too micromanaging but we had like a really ugly reversal intraday yesterday back down on class three almost looks like we may, might have made an exhaustion top yesterday and maybe that's the seasonal top, and maybe the market's going to start to work its way down. We certainly would be looking at, you know, for dairy producers, you know, they have opportunities to do what's called DRP, you know, where they can a subsidized um, protective floor under the market that the government offers. You know, we certainly would be thinking about 
putting some DRP protection under the market here in the first quarter and the second quarter. Very good prices. We're bullish longer term, don't get me wrong, but I don't think you want to leave. You know, I mean, just a, just a couple of months back when we turned bullish this market, we were 15, 16. So got to reward it. You know, once again, Merry Christmas, the dairy right. farmers. So. <laughs> right. Right on. <laughs> Okay, last but not least, I want to hit sugar here a little bit just because of, of the time of year that we're in um, with, uh, you know, beet harvest being all the way done. And, and for the most part, um, sugar production is in full swing in pretty much the, the five key areas in the United States. So I guess right now, it seems like sugar can't, it's staying right around 20 20 cents. Uh, it's not really moving one way or the other. You'll see it go down for a little bit and bounce back up over it, but 20 seems to be where it wants to stay. Is that a, uh, I guess, what, what, is, what is it with 20 cents that sugar likes so much? Well, I think the new supply that's coming out from Asia is, is a whack-a-mole when the market tries to get to 20, saying there's plenty of supply overhead, yeah. but you start knocking it down to 18, Strong buying for ethanol underneath, yeah. you know, and 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 so I, I think we're in a balance. We're gonna we're in a balance right now, um, and I and I think the market's uncomfortable, really knocking this market down until it's comfortable that the next production out of Brazil is going to be larger. Gotcha. Um, and even though um, weather has been better than last year, if you actually look at the weather maps where they grow sugar in uh, central to northern Sao Paulo, just south of Minas Gerais, been kind of dry. Um, it's been drying out. We've been talking about this drying out pattern, drying out pattern, but really where they grow the sugar has been really getting kind of dry. And so, you know, that's, that, that's making the market a little uncomfortable. I think if we had had some better rains here over the last um, three days, I think the market could have broken down more severely. But I think it's saying, you know what, we just better make sure <laughs> that the number one exporter in the world of sugar delivers you know and and they haven't from now until march cutting to make that decision i just want i just think they're they're willing to keep the market in this range until it can i mean they know asian production is good but they're they but they you know it's not so good that it can it can overcome a second year of poor production out of brazil so i think we're stuck here until the market makes that decision if it decides crops good we break down if it decides Crop's not good enough. We probably break up. I think we're in that zone right now, and at this point, too early to tell. But if we're correct about further drying out from the sudden traffic warming event in Jan, Feb, and March, sugar could be a market that might wake up to the upside if that verifies here. So that's something to pay attention to. From I would say, you know, like like grains, mid-January onward could be a very important time for the sugar market to make its decision how it's going to resolve this impasse. Yep. Right on. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on our natural climate cycle algorithm, our capital flows, lots of things on there about how we do what we do to see if we might be of help and some value to your listeners. Right on. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. Sean, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. 
Thank you, Casey. Always, always a pleasure, and look forward to it next week. Yeah, me so. too. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move smart, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransportation.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher